0: What
1: does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 31 of the podcast, and we are very happy you were able to join us today. This is the pre-pre-Christmas episode. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost a handful of games at a major event. We are going to break down the mistakes they made and how they plan to move forward from those mistakes. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? I do it. Brad does it. The universe. Everyone does it. What did New Orleans need in the winter of 2021? It absolutely needed the second major Warhammer 40k event, and Frontline Gaming gave it to them this past weekend. We're here to talk about it. Our guest piloted his beloved... I guess, Imperial Guard, Astro Militarum, whatever your flavor is, at the event, and we were talking about his game versus Dark Angels. Now, this is part one of the podcast, and this part will be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes, the secondaries that both players took, and the target priority. Part two, which is available to subscribers to our podcast over at dr4k.com, In that part, we'll be talking about the different strategies the player plans to implement, the list changes that they plan to make, how they plan to move forward in the meta, and just the elite player mindset. My co-host today, he lives. He lives. He is back. He is no longer a ghost among men. He is the winner of the Michigan GT, a nine-time member of Team USA. He's won a mythical amount of Adepticon's. He has three top eight LBO finishes, hopefully a win this year in 2021. He won the Arms Forces GT this year. He's the 2021 ACO champion, runner up of Games Workshop New Orleans. He won Studs and Snotlings, is now the Prime Minister of Canada. He is currently number two in the ITC. Once again, he is back from the dead, Mr. Bradchester.
0: See, this is what happens, guys. I get deathly ill. Boy King passes me as number one in the world. They don't no respect for the old guys. No respect. And all I want to tell you, say, talk about in this intro, though, is what is this Astra, Smasher, Militarum stuff? As an old gamer, it's Imperial, Imperial Guard, Guard or it's nothing.
1: Imperial Guard, man. I, I, I don't even know how to say it. I had to look it up. I was like, is it Astra Militarum? I can't remember. It's just IG to me, man. It's IG. Two 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 letters. That's all it is for me. Speaking of IG, our guest today, he has persisted all season long with some Imperial Guard. He is currently sitting in third for IG in the ITC. You've seen him blasting through the Texas meta this year. He's had several top finishes. You've seen him almost make it to the top cut at a lot of big, big events this year. He's an excellent hobbyist. I think he had two final cuts for paint at the GW events this year. Mr. Robert Moreland. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Robert. What is... This is my question. I've been asking it for I think two months now. It's it's probably getting gold. Everyone listening, but what is the most Christmas themed model?
2: The most Christmas themed model? Ooh, that is tough. I mean, uh, I'm gonna have to go with Nerglings. They're they're always just trying to give you gifts.
0: That made me so happy. I was totally gonna. I was seriously thinking Grandfather nurgle in my head when he said the most Christmas themed. And you went with Nerglings. You are (laughs) officially the best now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They just want to keep giving. Yeah, that's. I think uh, it's. The most persistent answers have been either, either like uh, something to do with Nurgle or the Santa Claus sled monster from uh, Space Wolves. So, I think I think it's uh that's what we that's our take home. That's it, tis the season, you know, tis the season, man. Um Robert, why don't you tell us a little bit about the event? So, it was the Frontline Gaming event down in New Orleans, not to be confused with the Games Workshop one, which is like a month ago. Um, tell us a little bit about the terrain, the event in general and just switch thought of it.
2: So, I will go ahead and say the uh, the event over in New Orleans fantastic venue is very well run. Um after going to but all of the GW events, Orlando, New Orleans, Austin, it was interesting switching gears back to an FLG-styled event, especially their system of player-placed terrain. Uh, so that, that ended up adding a significant amount of, I guess, it, it really just an extra layer to uh um, all the
0: nuance what are your what are your thoughts on that They interrupt i apologize on that but like that's that's people don't understand that haven't been to those two types of events that the event is literally completely different because of player place terrain versus the set gw style terrain
2: oh yeah, absolutely is it, it's night and day difference and uh obviously as a guard player there's always certain questions that i have to ask people can they get a turn one charge do they have a way of uh ignoring lookout sir and while I'm asking those questions, I'm looking at the terrain, dis- determining which is gonna be mine and already trying to come up with a game plan on where I'm going to place the terrain and how that will interact with my secondary.
1: Yeah, that I was I was supposed to go to this event and I was actually terrified because I've never played on player place terrain. I, I started back a year ago. It's such, so. a,
0: it's such a big deal, man. I'm not I until people have been to both or just you know static versus player place terrain, you can tell people that haven't, you know, I go to the FLG events, and I can see people when you haven't. I've had the, the the good fortune of the Midwest was doing player place terrain in the past, so I've had a lot of experience with it, which was nice, because it's it's such a different animal. You can literally have wildly different armies from one to the other. Like, there's, when I was playing uh, Dark Elder, I actually would think of completely different army setups, for instance, between uh, GW and uh, FLG Player Placed.
1: I was actually planning on going to the War Room and uh, going to that article that Nick, or that video Nick had done, it was like, here's how you do, Player Placed terrain. I was just going to watch it on the plane to New Orleans. That was my that was my plan, if I'd gone. So, so uh,
0: tell us about your list, but also tell us about the changes, if you could, that were between the uh, the GW event and the FLG event because of the Player place terrain.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, a lot of the changes uh, in my list stemmed Less so from the train because of how my list is set up to work and more to do with the meta. So <clears throat> I currently run uh, two detachments, one battalion and one patrol. The battalion is Cadian with a uh, good old Commissar Yarik, uh, Primaris Psyker who knows Psychic Maelstrom and Psychic Barrier, uh, Cadian Tank Commander with the new Relic Gatekeeper cannon, uh, two Plasma cannons, and then 50, con- uh, 50 Infantry Followed by two platoon commanders, some weird vein psychers, scout sentinel, uh, three—they're uh, called heavy quad launcher batteries, also known as thud guns—in in a single unit, and a the what is it? The laser and two laser destroyers. I apologize. Are in the other detachment? All right. So uh, the patrol detachment is actually mixed. It's mixed to Larin and Vistolian. And in there is an Inquisitor with warding Incantation, which is just a five-up invul on infantry units, and a targeted smite called Castigation. And then two Taleran Tank Commanders with Demolisher Cannons and Plasma Cannons, uh, just two five-mans of Scions, and uh, a one two-man unit of Laser Destroyers that are Vestrolian and a Mana Corps with full payload that is Vestrolian.
1: You're just sitting back blasting people and doing some cyber stuff.
0: Real quick for everybody, though, to to me, the difference between the the regiments on that is just what between Katie and Vestroyan. why did you choose each one on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'll go ahead and go over the patrol, the mixed patrol first, because that's usually what kind of catches people off guard. So, Talaran tank commanders have a regiment specific tank order called get around behind them. And that allows them to move six inches either before or after they shoot, and it does not affect uh, grinding in advance. So that allows me to peek around corners, shoot you twice, and then go back out of line of sight. Uh, that ends up giving me a lot of flexibility, and most importantly, my tanks never die. Um, then with the Vestrolian, uh the Vastrolian Manticore and the Vestrolian Laser Destroyers, they have a 1CP strat, called Firstborn Pride that allows them to get plus one to hit. In conjunction with Yarick, I can have my Laser Destroyers, so six Strength 10, Neg 4, 3 plus D3 shots, hitting on threes, rerolling once. Or I can have a Mana Core firing at you indirect, hitting on threes, rerolling once. So having that flexibility and determining target priority greatly assisted me. Um, and the Cadian's Attachment uh, it's it's just there because the cadians just got a supplement and a lot of the strat support there is huge it's absolutely like huge. cannons
0: tasty i definitely wanted to ta- have you tell everybody about the fact that you could basically fire and fade tanks that's kind of a big deal in your army oh yeah
2: yeah it's it's huge because uh, uh, two up armor is nice it's good for plank damage but if it could kill a Lehman Russ before it still can now so i'm just not even going to give them the chance
1: yeah, it's pretty cool. The new uh you can you get a lot more mobility with the new book, which is it was the the most recent one, the one that had all the Tyranid stuff in it. What is it? The um the uh, rising tide?
0: That was the Cadian supplement.
1: Oh, the Cadian. K- okay, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the list that he played in round five there, Brad? I believe it was the dark, dark Angels.
0: Angels. Uh he found some Terminators and he said, I want all of them. So we had some Dark Angels. We've got the Deathwing Ancient, Deathwing Champion. Interrogator Chaplain with Jump Pack. A uh, Deathwing Command Squad, because why not? Uh, then we had a Deathwing Terminator Squad, 10 strong with Chain fists coming out the wazoo and Storm Bolters. Uh, an Assault Terminator Squad with Lightning Claws with two Thunder Hammers in them. Then we've got another Terminator Squad with Thunder Hammers, basically split half and half, with Thunder Hammers and Storm Shields. And then one Relic Terminator Squad with the Combine Bolters, Lightning Lightning Claws, this is all, and a Ravenwing Apothecary, of course, to try to bring these expensive boys back. This is all of the Terminators. What mission did you play? This looks just irritatingly hard to get rid of.
2: So, uh, we actually played Battle Lines. Uh, so it was long table
0: I, I'm sorry know <laughs> that Getting when, when you only have four objectives and there's that many terminators that's that this seems like it's gonna be a grindy
1: oh yeah that's sad that's a sad day yep so, so why't do you I, tell us a little bit oh go, go ahead sorry
2: Robert uh I was just gonna say I actually was pretty optimistic going into the game uh because of the train uh I I was able to set up a pretty big kill zone in the middle of the table and pick secondaries that I knew would force him to try to go towards the center, even if it meant I'd lose some secondary points. Uh, I was hoping to really attack him on primary, and uh, obviously I'm here, so it didn't quite work out.
0: <laughs> well, tell us what you took, and took if, if you could, if what he took, if you could recall.
2: All right, so uh, I almost every single game, I always take to the last, which are my Thud Guns and my two Taleran Tank Commanders. Thud Guns always hidden, Taleran Tank Commanders always firing and fading. And then um, I, being completely on- completely honest, didn't pick the greatest secondaries, but I uh, I went ahead and took Psychic Ritual uh, in a bid to force him to fight over the center or give me points for it. And I actually took Banners, which in hindsight was a absolutely awful choice. Bold move, Cotton. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Don't know what I was thinking on that one. Do
1: you remember what he took on secondaries? Uh,
2: he definitely took the... Dark Angel 1, uh, where he just sits on his back yeah, I was objective. say he's going
0: to sit back on that back objective. That, that's why when you said battle lines with that, I went, well, that's awful. Yep,
2: yep. And then uh, he took Oath, and I do not recall the last one.
0: Oh, I'm surprised that he took Oath in a mission that didn't have a secondary in the middle, though.
2: As was I. So I was,
1: again, optimistic going into the game, especially after I heard a secondary. So walk us through a little bit about kind of the, starting with deployment, kind of just how the game went.
0: Also, so, did you, um, oh, sorry. Also, give me do me a favor and give it. You felt like you uh, won. do You felt like you also won the battle. You were saying of the deployment of the terrain, though.
2: Yes. Uh, so I managed to set up a just an absolute kill zone um, on the terrain. So uh, the the train had uh, at this event, for the lack of a better term, they had something called super woods basically. They, they had light cover, dense cover, and obscuring. So I was able to have my Talarian tank commanders behind those, where even if he made a charge, I knew he would be at minus two. So it was the best case scenario for me that allowed me to move up, touch the woods, fire into just a wide open kill zone, and then go back into safety from shooting or just to add distance to any potential charge.
1: Strong. So you were able to fire and fade back into there, add two inches to his charges, and just get that double layer protection. Correct. That's pretty nice. So you're looking across the table. You're feeling pretty confident. Um, Walk us through turn one on and kind of tell us where you feel like it went south for you.
2: So turn one, um, I actually did get turn one, and then I was feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, He only had one five-man squad of Terminators uh, near – my side objective, I, my mana core wiped out maybe about four of them. The rest, uh, you know, just kind of random shooting, took out the rest. And then from there, it was just kind of plank damage. I didn't want to overextend myself or push any sort of way or uh, make any potential charges shorter. So I played pretty cagey on my turn one. Uh His turn one, uh he started... And I moved, moved, moved some guardsmen up to another objective just to put pressure on him. Um, So he knew that he would have to come out into the open if he wanted to stand a chance of trying to capture either objective. Um, Then his next turn, uh, he uh, just kind of fought over a couple objectives. Uh, Nothing crazy happened. It was really turn two where everything just went wild. So, um, turn two, I knew he was going to deep strike about 15 to 20 Terminators. Uh, he put a lot of things into reserve. So in an effort to try to prevent deep strike areas, move, move, move some guardsmen up the sides and then dropped a five man unit of Scions of my own directly in the middle, um, which did prevent him from deep striking. But I didn't realize he had a litany that allowed him that gave him plus two to charges in an aura and re-roll charges. and he had an ability to give chapter master rerolls as an aura, basically the old school way as opposed to just picking a unit. So uh, whenever his turn came around and he dropped those guys, they had seven inch rerollable charges and plus three to their pylon and plus three to their consolidate. So my five-man unit of Scions just acted as a springboard and allowed gave him 12 inches of free movement once he just had like a character just killed him. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, it didn't feel great.
1: And that gave him kind of, <laughs> of that uh, foothold he needed in the center to do his secondaries and kind of plan different attacks on the two middle objectives.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, just in my first two turns, I I did manage to kill 10, 15 Terminators. So... Uh, Absolute credit on my opponent for recognizing that he couldn't just sit there. Because uh, if he did, it was going to be my game. So he knew he had to go full board. So he just went, hey, diddle, diddle, straight up the middle. And he dropped everything and just went full board and pushed me. And it was more than a, what I could
1: handle. So from there, were you able ever able to get a foothold back on the game or what was your plan once he kind of catapulted and had this a big block of stuff right there in the middle? What, what did you have left looking across the table from him and what was your thought on how to regain that middle? Because Banners is toast at this point, I assume. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> uh, because uh, all my big guns had to be focused in the middle because uh, that's – that's always going to be guard's biggest weakness. If you slap one of my tanks, I still don't have a way of uh, falling back and shooting. So um, he was able to really get right there in my lines. And that's w- what I thought would be beneficial to me. This The super woods, light cover, dense cover, and everything ended up being to my detriment because it just gave his Terminators a cover save and minus one to be hit. Um, so what I was hoping to use to save the day, which they, they did help me out substantially were my psychers is, uh, I have those psychers in there as my melee defense, the, the guard and their psychic awakening book have a one CP strat called psychic conclave. And it gives the primary psycher and weird vein psychers each an additional cast and plus two to cast. So I can push out an average of 10 to 15 mortal wounds a turn. And uh I was taking out terminators, but it just wasn't enough. So uh at that point, my bid for success was at, at that point is really hope I roll hot and he rolls bad. But with with uh him still having permanent transhuman, it messes up the math a lot.
0: So Plus the fact that it, the, the, one of the biggest problems, and I keep talking about this with Guard when we talk about it, is unfortunately almost all of your tanks are also just made of blast too, so it's extra bad when you get touched, because not only do you not have any sort of fallback and shoot mechanic, but you're not even firing into combat, as would most other tanks, uh, because of the fact that literally every gun you have is is a blast.
2: Oh yeah, it it, it hurts, and it hurts bad, but I mean... I, I knew that was the risk I'd be taking, running guard, and here I am, still, uh, still running guard. So,
0: <laughs> let's talk about the guard. The guard. Your thoughts about that, though, like your your overall, what you were thinking about is not moving, not going, jumping the gun on uh, the second part, but with the everything that you have in the move, 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 as far as your overall game plan, was there any merit to being extra aggressive because of the fact that he had so little things on the board? and just pushing even farther out with your move, move, move. So even if he makes those charges, he's still fairly far back uh, on your second turn because you went second. So uh,
2: looking back on the game, I did really think about that. Uh, because Obviously, there's a lot of rules to the game. There's a lot of things I may not know or even think to ask, like uh, his additional three inches on his pile in and consolidate, which ended up giving him additional 12 inches of movement. So whenever I dropped that five-man Scion squad in the middle to make sure... Because he he ended up not being able to deep strike within my 50-yard line. And I had a squad of guardsmen in the back that I even remember looking at in that game going, I wonder if I should have moved, moved, moved them into the center as well. Uh, And if I had, then they all would have been forced to pile in and consolidate into that second unit. And they would have been stuck completely in the open. That's kind of what
0: I was, Yeah, that's exactly kind of where I was going because I'm thinking to myself, you know, cause you said he had so much stuff in reserve and then after you had a pretty good first turn, if you could have kept him on that side for maybe one more turn, that could give you that extra time to not have him in the super woods and everything else mm-hmm. and give yourself, I mean, it's just a, it could be a 15 plus point swing there because he's not on the objectives you get a, a full another turn of shooting. And especially with the army that you're bringing off another round of shooting is a freaking big thing. You know what I mean? It's not like your, your damage is insignificant. And if he has to assault those, like, just like you were saying, those are now in the middle. They're just standing there. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, that, that you could have done some big damage. I was just thinking like, you just kind of want to point out because a lot of people look at the whole point that we do this, you know, is the talk about what, what could have, should have, but like, that's a big deal like that 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 move in itself could literally have made uh, a game-changing decision because you only had that one round to shoot if you had two rounds with one of the rounds in the open uh then and he doesn't get extra points there that could be you know turn a game that, that collapsed on you to a game that all of a sudden your opponent's playing uphill for you
2: 100 uh, percent. i completely agree and it it for the most part, I've always been used to whenever you have to screen for deep striking charges, usually you're looking at something like Vanguard Fats that have the fly keyword. So you're usually, just one unit is usually enough, but even then you may be giving them free movement. Uh So with a lot of the melee threats that are out there now, you really don't want to give anyone any additional movement. So it may be, Especially in my case, where my infantry are so cheap and just itching to die. Um, Having that second rank right there that can be piled in or consolidated into can, uh, just like you're saying, very well could have changed the game for me.
1: I think you brought up another interesting point, though. And that's that some of some armies that are a little bit less played and still strong. For instance, I think Custodes is something up in that category, or like, you know, Dark Angels, where they never quite had their heyday where they're the number one powerhouse army, but, you know, they still, they're still good. And they still slip through to these upper games. You know, there's there's sometimes a knowledge gap on some of those armies and you just don't know quite what they do. Like some of the more niche stuff, like such as the plus two inch charge or like, um, you know, custode telemons or things like that you know
0: it's it's a big deal it's it's also very mission specific on this because when you're playing battle lines which by the way is my least favorite mission uh there's only you have like one option basically you're taking that middle and that's just what's going to happen it's not like you can make these crazy tactical moves it's almost about just what can i do to delay this and or take this and we know what's going to happen so Voice is going away there, guys. But uh, The the other thing I was going to talk about, the move, move, move with it, was there any uh, thoughts of just straight trying to, uh, because his army is fairly slow and he was going to deep strike, of just setting up a double air like you were talking about, but just actually pushing that first row and just trying to completely move block him uh, and just take the losses?
2: So uh, I did consider that. Um, the only reason... Why I mean, it is risky, of course, because you're, you're it is, it is risky, and knowing that he can also just wait until the next turn is why I hesitated. Um, is uh, you know, guardsmen have absolutely absurd movement for what they are, especially with move, move, move. Um, but he also, uh, it's like every single terminator had storm bolters or lightning claws. Or both like it was so they just chewed through guardsmen. uh so and it to me kind of went back to do i want to give him the free movement and then can i afford to do that again for another turn is with the guard and what one of the guards problems is the you know your basic guardsman which is one of the weakest units in the game um but still has a lot of utility because of orders um They are my primary point scorers, so if I went ahead and just sacrificed everything to try to deny a deep strike, then I, I'm it would have been a much bloodier of a game. But I think he still may have gotten me on points.
0: And so I was worried about. I was just in my mind, I was thinking it because I was like, if you go for the riskier move, you still have the opportunity because you have so much lethality in that mission to maybe, maybe that extra turn and a half, basically, is what it gives you. Gives you enough time to kill him where then he just doesn't have the, the ability to push. But obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's a super risk. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. Because if it doesn't work, then all of a sudden, you're just kind of standing there in the back with no friends yeah. and a couple tank of manners.
2: Yeah, and that's, a, that's really one of the issues with a lot of 8th edition codexes right now. Uh, they don't get to operate as intended back in 8th. Uh, And almost every 8th edition codex I've seen now, maybe with the exception being Tyranids, because they just got such a huge update, they've been forced to turn into these weird, almost technical type armies where if you end up making a mistake, there's just no way to come back from it. Uh, All the new codexes um, just have these abilities to to help you fix a mistake where a lot of the 8th ed codexes just don't give you that.
1: Agreed on that, my friend. Agreed on that. If you were to play this matchup again, knowing everything you know now, you're the, you're playing the same player, same list, everything. Do you feel like this is like a good matchup, bad, or pretty neutral matchup for you?
2: I I would say less than ideal. So not quite neutral, less than neutral. So, um, and I say that if I was playing the same player. It was, uh, again, this goes back to absolute credit to my opponent, he recognized that he could not sit there. If he sat there, I would win. And um, he knew he just had to go all out, and he did. He he knew that if he didn't do that, he would lose. He, he it was on to him to take the risk. He took the risk, and it paid off for him. Uh, so uh, th- there are some little things I could have done differently, like double stacking that uh, you know a guard squad behind the scion squad to try to delay. But with the permanent transhuman and still having four up and vulnerable saves, all it takes is a couple bad dice rolls on, on my part, then it, the game would still end up turning the same way. Now on the flip side, um, all it takes is me rolling average and him rolling average, and it very well could end up going my way. But that's the problem with the guard. You have to roll for every single little part. So there's a lot of
1: opportunities for things to go wrong, right? You have the variability on the number of shots and all that jazz, and that that can get a little risky.
0: I'm not going to lie; that is my biggest thing in Eighth Edition, mostly Eighth Edition Codexes right now is random number of shots and no uh, set. Most of the guns uh, have lots of random damage, which drives me crazy.
1: Yep, yeah, it's like, it's like you're shooting orc guns around here. You know, it's like just firing random cans at people.
0: I'm I'm such a math nerd about that. It's I just look for uh, basically sustainability. I just want it to be consistent all the time. I'd, I'd always rather shoot something that has a flat damage. I mean the best damage in the game is literally three plus D3 for me because it's so consistent. You know exactly what you're getting.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean you're you're guaranteed four. So that's you know, you can just bank take it to the bank.
0: Take me into well, the brand name, my friend. Take me into the branding. So for those
1: who are first time listeners, part two was the Nick, I think we call I don't remember what I called it something um I don't even remember it now, but it's the Bradney. The traditional part two is the Bradning, the Brad Hour, the Witching Hour, whatever you want to call it. It's where after Brad goes dark. dying. It's it's also the Art of War After Dark, where things get a little risque, things get a little weird. Brad goes Brad goes ham, just ask a bunch of questions. So uh, just uh, tune in for that. But before we get there, I have two more questions for Mister Robert here. Robert, number one is when you sit down and you think about a game after a tournament, you're analyzing it. You're thinking about games you lost, games you won. What is your process for kind of going through a loss and figuring out what you want to do different next time?
2: So the first thing I always look at are my secondary selection. Uh, I, I always look to see if there's something I should have picked differently. And I'll, I'll go through the secondaries and go through the game in my mind going, if I had picked this instead, how many points would I have gotten? Um so after looking at my secondaries, I look at the terrain and try to see if there's any way I could have tried to utilize the terrain a little bit better. Because, um, yeah, I've always traditionally played very shooty armies. So hilariously, I don't even know the melee stats for a lot of units in the game because I just shoot them. Um, so after I look at that, I start looking at movement and more particularly my opponent's movement. Movement, win or loss. Even if, uh, even if I end up pulling the game through, I think about okay, if they had moved here, I would have lost this game. Or if, if they didn't move there, I would have won the game. So um, I always try to look at things in those order, in that order, because um, in my opinion, that's probably uh, some of the more important things to consider. What what scores you points? What keeps your stuff alive? And then what denies your opponent? Opportunities to score. Nice.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my second question for you is: Are you playing guard going in? I know you're going to LVO. You have to be going to LVO. And are you playing guard at LVO? I will be playing guard at LVO. And if you do better than your teammate Brett, will you be taking the ITC home for guard?
0: Uh, probably. I I actually think you just have to do better than him. Tell you the truth, I think any score better than him. Technically, because of the size of the tournament, yeah, it's Gives a big, you the lead. big
1: event.
2: And, and I mean, Brett is, uh, I consider Brett a friend. He's the uh, obviously, he's the number one guard player in the ITC right now. Um, and I, 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 part of me wants him to get it, and I really hate that we're both playing guard right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, what you should have said, however, is he's the number one guard player for now. <laughs> Would you would you like to have a matchup with him? Say it's
1: like the final round of LVO, winner takes all. Would that be something you would enjoy, or like be like too much?
0: God, oh, how, how how hilarious would that be? Though it's a thousand person tournament, and you randomly get the <laughs> guard on guard match.
2: Oh yeah, let me tell you, I'd be laughing
0: so hard. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rest of us would.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'd be a. Uh, I, I would be watching that game for sure. I'll tell you that I'd be over there, all eyes on it. So. Well, Robert, thanks for joining us today. I look forward to hearing your answers to the Bradening, the Art of War After Dark, whatever you want to call it. Looking forward to it, man. Uh,
2: Sounds great. I can't tell you how much I appreciate y'all having me on.
1: All right. Well, join us for part two, but make sure to check out our other podcast. We have the Art of War Vanilla Kiwi Flavored with Steve Joel and the Boy King John Legend. Make sure to check it out. It is the number two podcast behind Unbroken, but it's definitely a good podcast. You listen also. Make sure to check out the Art of War Yankee Patriot, formerly known as the Art of War Down Under, with the late and great Adam Camilleri. Also, make sure to check out all the other great things we have to offer at theartofwar40k.com, including part two of this podcast. Go subscribe right now. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, War 40 kcom